Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Great to be together again. Those of you watching online, it's great to have you with us as well. It's been a, a long time since we've had baptism together. It's been since pre-COVID. It actually was at the 20-year anniversary back in January, the 20-year anniversary of Frontline that we experienced baptism. And so however you're joining in with us today, whether it's online or in person, it's just great to have you a part of things. Uh, I have a good friend, he's actually a pastor like me, and he was telling me about how there was a group of guys in the church that he pastors that invited him to go shooting with them, shooting guns. And I think in like a desperate attempt to sort of win his man card, he said yes, and he went to shoot guns with these guys. And so he didn't, being a pastor and not really experienced with guns, he didn't bring any sort of protective, you know, earwear or anything like that. And so they shot a variety of guns. And he believes it was the 357 Magnum with 38 caliber rounds that did it. If you're not familiar with guns, just picture a cannon going off in your hands. And what happened is the next day he had this loud ringing in his ears. And as the day went on, the, the, the ringing just got louder and louder and louder. And then for the next day, the, the ringing was still there, even louder. And so it got to the point where he couldn't even sleep at night because the ringing was so loud in his ears. And then he said, what happened is after several days of this, one day it just stopped. The ringing just went away. But the problem was he couldn't hear certain things anymore. And he didn't know why. He knew he was experiencing hearing loss, but he didn't know why he couldn't hear things. And so he went to the doctor. And I thought it was really interesting what the doctor told him. Here's what the doctor told him. He said, actually, the ringing is still there. The ringing in your ears is still there. What happens is after a period of time, your brain will actually cancel out that frequency that the ringing is in. And so then you don't hear the ringing anymore, but the problem is then you don't hear anything else that's in that frequency range anymore either. And that's actually what the hearing loss is. We were eating lunch together and he leans across the table and he's like, I've been pretending my wife's voice is in that frequency range. Like, not a smart man. Uh, and so I got to thinking about this. Like, it, I, that's amazing to me that that can happen, that our brains would actually cancel out a frequency range so we can no longer hear it. If that can happen physically, it got me thinking, can that happen spiritually? Can the same thing happen spiritually? Uh, maybe it's because of an old wound. Maybe we were wounded by somebody when we were younger, and then what happens is when we meet anybody who reminds us of that person or reminds us of that event in our lives, it's like our brain just cancels out that frequency, just cancels out that person, cancels out their voice. Like, I just can't deal with them because they bring up stuff and they remind you of something from the past. Maybe it's uh, an environment that you grew up in and maybe that environment you grew up in is actually what you know, caused you to cancel out this certain frequency, this certain group of people's voice so you could no longer hear it anymore. And you don't even realize that that voice, that frequency range has been canceled out for you. Or, or maybe... Maybe actually what happened is you went to church, and maybe it was the church, maybe it was the environment you grew up in, in the faith community you were a part of, that the experience was such a way that maybe you've canceled out the voice of God in your life. You said to yourself, if, if God is anything like that group of people, I don't want anything to do with it. Maybe it's actually the people of God that helped cancel out the voice of God in your life. We're in this series right now called Friend of Sinners, and Jesus is called Friend of Sinners in Luke's Gospel. That's where he's given that title. And so we've been looking at different stories that explain why Jesus was called friend of sinners. And so today we're going to look at a story in Luke chapter 18. And in Luke 18, what's going on is Jesus hears something. 
that the religious people that are following him closely have gone deaf to. He hears something, and I wonder, does God want to awaken us again? Does God want to allow us to hear something again that only he hears? That's what we see in the story. So Luke 18 is where we're going. You can join in with us on your Bible app or turn with us if you're in the room and your Bible, and um, we're going to jump in this morning. This is Luke 18, starting in verse 35. This is Jesus as he's approaching the last week of his life. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. Now, when we hear that word Jericho, like it doesn't conjure up any image of any place in, in our minds necessarily. But in Jesus' day, this was a very important city. It was 15 miles from the city of Jerusalem. And Jericho was a very wealthy city. In fact, what we believe is because it was so close to the city of Jerusalem, there's evidence that very wealthy priests had like a second home in Jericho. It would be kind of like the place they, they lived, their secondary uh, home when they weren't at the temple. And what's more, Jericho was, was an important city because uh, tons of people would pass through Jericho and the road of Jericho on their way to the different Jewish festivals that would happen. It was a major, major pilgrimage route for people who were coming to Jerusalem and so, uh, just like in our world today, wherever you find wealth, you also find poverty. Oftentimes it's hidden. You don't always see it. But it, there's always poverty wherever there's wealth. And so what happens, is it would not have been uncommon for there to be a beggar or multiple people who were homeless and uh, in a position in life where they were in poverty and they would have been begging by the side of the road because it would have been a great place, wealthy community where lots of people are going to be coming through on their way to Jerusalem. So this beggar, this blind beggar who's sitting by the side of the road, he would have been a sight you would have been used to seeing. Every day, you would have passed by him. There would have been nothing unusual about his presence there. Let's keep going in, this, in the story here. Verse 36, it says, When he, the beggar, heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So the guy is literally shouting. Now, there's something going on here in the terms that are being used. Okay, so when he asks the crowd, the crowd says, Jesus, the Nazarene, is going by. And immediately he begins shouting, Jesus, son of David. So they're calling Jesus two different terms. Now, what you have to understand is son of David was a loaded term in this culture, in a Jewish culture in the first century. The son of David was a messianic term. So in other words, the only reason you would call someone son of David is if you believed that they were the Messiah. The, the Messiah was supposed to be the son of David. He was the, in the line of King David. And so the crowd is calling him Jesus of Nazareth, but this man recognizes. He calls him Jesus, son of David. So what's happening here in the story, Luke is trying to really emphasize this. He's trying to get us to see this man is blind, but there are certain things he can see. In fact, there are certain things he can see better than the crowd that's following Jesus very closely. And so he's shouting, he's crying out. And so let's look at what happens next. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. So, so the crowd in this moment is actually telling him to be quiet. They're telling him to calm down. They're, tr they're trying to get him to shut up, essentially. 
Uh, go ahead to that next slide, if you will. What's happening in this story, and I know I'm being completely obvious here. There's nothing brilliant about this. Just a simple observation. You've got these three kind of entities in the story. You have Jesus, and then you have this blind beggar, this man by the side of the road. And in between them, you have a crowd of people. It's the people who are around Jesus. It's the people who are following him as he goes toward Jerusalem. Now, the crowd, again, so obvious, but let me just point it out. The crowd is closest to the man, and the crowd is also closest to Jesus. Now, you would think because of this, the crowd would be in the perfect position to facilitate what needs to happen here, right? You would think the crowd is, because they're closest to the man, they can hear him, and they're closest to Jesus. They should be able to facilitate these two people coming together, Jesus and the man. (laughs) But that's not what happens. In this story, the crowd is actually the obstacle. The crowd is actually a hindrance. They're the block. They're the thing that's standing in the way. The crowd, the people who are around Jesus, are actually the group of people who are keeping the man from experiencing Jesus. What's happening here in this moment is those who are in the crowd following Jesus, they can't hear this man anymore. They've canceled out the frequency of his voice. He's a person in their society that they don't even recognize anymore. They've canceled out his frequency and they think Jesus should too. And so I just want to ask the question here, uh, is it possible to be in the crowd following Jesus and completely miss Jesus? Does that happen? Is it possible to be in the crowd of people following Jesus, going to church every week, watching online every week, in a small group, but completely miss who Jesus is? Again, this this blind man is like son of David. He seems to understand who Jesus is in a way they don't. And he seems to understand also who Jesus came for, what Jesus is about. Is it possible to be in the crowd following Jesus and completely miss who Jesus came for. I would say that absolutely still happens today. In, in the way I think it happens today is the same way it happened back then. It happens whenever we turn people into issues. In, in our world, whenever we turn people into issues, what happens is we cancel out the frequency of their voice and we completely miss what Jesus is all about. So, again, pointing out the obvious, this blind beggar sitting on the side of the road, you know, blindness is an issue, right? The man was a person who had a name. In fact, Mark's gospel tells us his name. His name was Barnabas. Uh, Homelessness is an issue. Homelessness was an issue then. It is an issue still in our world today. But the man... He was a a son. He was somebody's brother. He was a friend. He was was somebody who had a real life story. Uh, Poverty, begging by the side of the road. Those are issues in our world still even today. But this man was a human being with dignity and with purpose. He was created in the image of God. And Jesus said in Luke's gospel, he said, it's not the, the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. That's who I came for. We live today in what I would just call an issue-driven cancel culture. Have you noticed this? Has anybody else noticed this? If you haven't noticed it, 
Uh, we live in a culture where having the wrong opinion about an issue can get you canceled. You're immediately just sort of tuned out. And so issues like abortion, uh, racism, immigration, um, gay rights, masks. But what we say in our world today is uh, we say these are important issues. Go ahead to that next slide. These are important issues, we say. And they are important issues. They absolutely are important issues in our world today. I think we should take them seriously. But what I think Jesus wants to do and what he wants to remind us is he wants to cross out the word issues and he wants to remind us these are important people. These are important people. In fact, the only reason why we care about these issues is because of the way they affect people, real people, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, friends, neighbors. These are important people. And there's something about Jesus. He always has his eye on people. So we're going to look here in a moment of how Jesus responds. But what I want you to notice before we even read how Jesus responds in this moment is I want you to note what he does not do. What Jesus does not do is he does not turn to the crowd and ask them what they think about the issue of homelessness or poverty or blindness. He doesn't turn and turn this into a great campaign moment. That's not what he does. Let's take a look at what he does. Go ahead. There it is. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. So, so Jesus turns this moment into a moment of great celebration. But what I, I love about this is it says, when Jesus heard him. So imagine this, Jesus is the farthest away from this man. The crowd's in between he and the man. But there's something about over the noise of the crowd, somehow Jesus hears the cry of this man. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He hears that over the crowd. And what's happening here in this moment, this is actually a callback to the Exodus story in the scriptures. In Exodus chapter 3, there's a guy named Moses. And Moses is in the wilderness, and his life is lacking in purpose, and he encounters a burning bush. And God himself speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, and God says, Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. And I'm inviting, I'm inviting you to hear it. I'm inviting you to respond as well. In this moment, Jesus hears the cry of the, the blind beggar on the side of the road. And I would pose to you today, he still does. He still does. He still hears the cry above the noise of everything else in our world, of those in poverty, those struggling, those down on their luck. Psalm 34 says, God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. There's something about Jesus. He hears the cry of this man, even above the noise and the din of everything else that's going on. And then he does something really powerful here in the text. We talked about this last week because Luke is doing the same thing as he did in the passage we looked at last week. When Jesus heals the blind man, he says to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Now, there was a num in our language, we kind of have one word for heal. In the, the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, there were multiple words for that. 
And so this isn't the Greek word katharizo, which means to be made clean or means to be made whole. This is the Greek word sozo. Sozo means to be saved, means to be rescued. So just like in the passage that we looked at last week, Jesus says, uh, he says, receive your sight, your faith has saved you. This This is a salvation moment. This is a picture of how God saves us through the person of Jesus. This man, in this moment, he has become a recipient of God's grace by putting his faith in the person of Jesus. And the story ends in this great celebration. He actually joins in following Jesus. He receives his sight and he begins to follow Jesus. But what, don't miss this about the story. Something far greater than just physical sight has been restored to this man. Something greater than just sight has happened. What's happened in this moment is he's actually gotten saved. He's become a follower of Jesus, which is what Jesus' mission was all about. It's what he came here to do, and it's what he's still about in our world even now. There's a guy who's been a part of Frontline for a number of years, and um, he and I have this kind of weird ritual with each other. Uh, What happens is every year, the same week in April, he will come to church and he will stand and he will wait. He'll let other people talk to me or whatever after the service is over and he'll stand there as long as he needs to stand there and then he'll walk up to me and he'll just say, five years. And then the next year, same weekend in April, he'll come and he'll stand and he'll wait there until I'm free and he'll say, six years. The next year, seven years, eight years. And I do the same thing every time. He comes and he tells me whatever the year is, and I, I give him a high five, and I say, way to go, man, that's awesome. And I give him a hug, pre-COVID, I give him a hug. Remember hugs? Remember that? <laughs> and um, this past April, we were in quarantine. You know, everything was shut down. We were doing services virtually, completely. And... On the same weekend in April, I get a Facebook message from this guy, and I kind of forgot what, what weekend it was, and I get this uh, Facebook message, and, and when I saw it, I was like, oh no, because I haven't talked to this guy in a while, and I'm thinking, oh man, what is this going to be? And so I, I clicked it, I opened up, and his message just said, 14 years. 14 years sober. This is a guy who has not forgotten what Jesus saved him from. He hasn't forgotten what it felt like to be a hopeless drunk who was forfeiting his entire family, forfeiting his marriage, forfeiting the trust and the respect of his children. And I remember the the moment really well. It was an Easter Sunday morning. It was in April. It was a baptism Sunday. We did baptism on Easter that year. And I can still remember somebody invited him in the midst of his hopelessness, to come to church. So he shows up. He still reeked of alcohol as he was getting in the, the dunk tank. In the, and that day was his salvation moment. It was the beginning of a trajectory for him of pursuing a life of sobriety. And God has just done incredible things in his life since. It's not been easy. He's, not, he's had setbacks. He's had moments. But he remembers what God redeemed him from. And he knows I remember Now, here's what I want you to hear. Don't miss it. Everything I just said, do not miss this. Because here's the thing for my friend. Sober cannot become his new identity. Or else we're not preaching the gospel yet. 
Do you hear me? Sober is not the new label. Sober is not the new identity. That's not his new value or else it's not the gospel that we're preaching. I hope my friend stays sober. I hope God continues to bless him in his life. I hope he continues to walk on a path of sobriety. But his sobriety, his continued sobriety is not what makes him acceptable to Jesus. It's not what makes him acceptable to God. See, sobriety, alcoholism, that's an issue This man is my friend. He's a person. He's a son of God. He's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus that we just were singing about. And he's a new creation. He's part of this new community, this new humanity that Jesus has invited us to be a part of that's going to outlast everything in this world. That's the hope that we have. That's the true hope that we have. That these temporal things that we deal with, these momentary, Paul calls them our light and momentary troubles, are going to be swallowed up in the reality of eternity with Christ for what he's done. And so my favorite part of this story, my absolute favorite part of this entire story reading this morning is the line that says, when he came near. So for this beggar, when he actually comes near to Jesus, that's the moment that he receives not only his physical healing, but that's also the moment of salvation for him. So there was a response. There was something he had to do. Now, here's why I love that. Because it's Jesus, right? Don't you think Jesus could have done that from a distance? I mean, think about it, right? Jesus is far away from this man. There's a crowd of people in between him. Jesus hears his cry. Don't you think Jesus could have been like, hey, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Great. Don't you think Jesus could have just like, boom, he's the son of God from a distance. He doesn't do that. Just bring him to me. The man actually has to go through the crowd of people that were telling him to shut up a minute ago. And he has to be willing to do that. He has to put himself through that. He has to be willing to draw near to Jesus. And it's when he draws near to Jesus, that's when the moment happens. That's when his healing happens. That's when the salvation happens. And, and I would say in the, in the same way, uh, it's still true for us today. It happens when we draw near to Jesus, that we experience what God has for us. I I would just say it this way. I think the whole point of the the story this morning that we're looking at is it's not enough to be around the people who are around Jesus. You have to be around Jesus yourself. You have to have your own experience of Jesus. You have to, it's, it's not enough to be around the crowd, around the people who are around Jesus. The crowd cannot save you. You say, come on, isn't it enough that I'm going to church? Isn't it enough that I'm watching online? Isn't it enough that I'm serving in a ministry like we were just talking about a minute ago, that I'm I'm in a small group? It's not enough to be around the people who are around Jesus. You have to have your own relationship with him. You have to have your own experience of Christ redeeming you and reconciling you. And that's what we see in the Gospels again and again and again as he came and he died for you and for me. We see ourselves in these stories and we realize it's not just about a group of people who lived in another time period. This is about us. This is about every single one of us individually. I would say it this way, maybe to illustrate, there's two ways that you can know Lake Michigan, right? There's two different ways you can know Lake Michigan. This is a satellite image of Lake Michigan So uh, one way is you can study about Lake Michigan. You can study the parameters of it, how many gallons of water are in it. You can study temperatures and rainfall and 
you know, weather effects and all that kind of stuff. You can talk to people and you can say, hey, what's it like to get in Lake Michigan? You can get firsthand, you know, uh, testimonials of people who have gone to the beach. Or that's one way you can know Lake Michigan. It's legit. That's how you can know Lake Michigan. The other way to know Lake Michigan is just to get in your car, drive 35 minutes, and walk on the beach and feel the warm wind in your face and feel the sand in between your toes and dive into the frigid, freezing cold water. <laughs> That's the other way to know Lake Michigan. There's, there's a difference between knowing about something and knowing something. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. It's not enough to be around the people who are around Jesus. You have to know Jesus. The story we're looking at this morning, it's not a story about some lone ranger Christian who stays at a distance and somehow kind of stays on the fringes and the edges and that's enough to redeem and reconcile him. This is a story about a man who is completely broken, completely desperate, who cries out at the top of his lungs for Jesus because Jesus, he recognized in his own life, Jesus is the greatest need of every human being. And he draws near to him. He pushes his way through the crowd gets close to Jesus, and it's when he's close to Jesus, that's when God redeems him and reconciles him. And so the only question really we have left to ask is this question, where are you? Where are you in this story? As we begin to take this story, we begin to turn it toward ourselves, which is really the point. It's why these gospel stories were written, so that we could see ourselves in these stories and we could understand who Jesus is for us. Who are you in this story? Maybe, maybe you're the blind man. Maybe you identify with him immediately in the story. Maybe it's actually the people who are around Jesus who have been the greatest source of pain and hurt in your life. Maybe you've been judged. Maybe you've been condemned. Maybe you've been pushed away. Even, even if you're watching online, maybe the reason you're online has nothing to do with COVID. Maybe it's just because I can't go and physically be around those people. If I could give you a piece of advice, if that's you, listen to me very closely. Do not stop crying out to Jesus. Jesus still hears the cry of the beggar on the side of the road. Institutions fail us. Uh, people let us down. Pastors disappoint us. I say this all the time, but if you're new here to Frontline, my name is Brian, I'm the pastor. If I haven't got a chance to personally disappoint you yet, I promise I will get there eventually. I'll make my round to everybody, I promise, eventually, if you just give me enough time. But Jesus doesn't, and that's the point. That's why we're all in this room together today, because Jesus doesn't. He doesn't disappoint. He doesn't let down. His promises are true. His salvation is real. And it's his power that can transform a human life. So don't stop crying out. Don't stop drawing near. It's not enough to be around the people who are around Jesus. Maybe uh, you identify in this story. If, where are you in this story? Maybe you'd say, I'm one of the people in the crowd. Maybe you'd be bold enough and maybe, maybe you'd be self-aware enough even to say, yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'm one of these people in the crowd. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe... You were always around the people who are around Jesus. And, but you've never, you don't really know Jesus. 
It's possible to be in the crowd of people following Jesus and not really know Jesus. This man, this beggar on the side of the road seems to know more about who he is than the people following him sometimes. I think that's still true. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe, uh, maybe even you got baptized as an infant. It was something that was done for you. It wasn't your decision. But now you're at a place in your life. I just want to tell you, it's not enough to be around the people who are around Jesus. You need to have your own experience of Jesus. It's, we've got to do whatever we can in our lives to push through the crowd, to push through the obstacles, and draw near to the person of Jesus. He's the truest thing we have. He's the truest source we have. And so, um, maybe it's, it's your day to do that. Maybe it's your day to take that step. We're going to move into a time of baptism right now. And what we're going to do, uh, and we, it's been a while since we've, we've done baptism, so just to explain it a little bit, baptism is called a sacrament. The word sacrament just means mystery. So baptism is this mysterious symbol that we interact with. And Romans 6 talks about the symbolism of it and what it represents. Basically, just like Jesus died on the cross for our sins and Jesus died and then he was buried in a tomb, when we go down into the water of baptism, what we are saying is, I'm dying to my old life. I'm dying to the idea that I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to sober myself up. I'm going I'm to change myself. I'm going to make myself presentable to God. We're dying to that. We're dying to that old life. And just like Jesus rose to a new life, when we come out of the water, it's a symbolic way of saying, I'm rising to a new life in Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's Jesus who lives in me. It's his life living through me. That's the symbolism of it. That's what we're saying. And so here's what's going to happen. Um, in a moment, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing a song together. We're going to stand and sing. And as we do that, if you've let us know, we, have, we know several people uh, have let us know they're ready to take that step and get baptized. As we're singing that song, uh, I want you to make your way over and stand with us right here. We've cleared some chairs away. We've got a big spot uh, right over here on this side of the room. And part of the cameras and everything is for those of you watching online, we want you to be able to see all of this really well. Um, and as we're singing, I want you just to gather with us over here. And uh, after we've, we're done singing for in a moment, we're going to get baptized. But I want to say one more word. There are some of you in this room, you didn't let us know you were planning to get baptized. You didn't come this morning thinking you were going to get baptized. It wasn't in your mind. And maybe even as we've been talking this morning, what we've realized is the Holy Spirit sometimes is stirring. And some of you right now, you feel the tap of God on your shoulder. And, and you know, you know it's your moment. Stop resisting. Stop fighting. <laughs> Cry out. Push through the crowd. It's not enough to be around the people who are around Jesus. What I want to invite you to do is when we stand and we sing the song, when the others make their way over here, I want you to stand up. I want you to come over and I want you to join us over here on this side of the stage. Now, a couple notes. We are uh, screening and temperature checking everybody who's getting baptized this morning. And we're doing that just in every effort we can to, um, to just be as safe and you know, stop the spread as much as we possibly can. Um, and then if you're wondering like, oh man, but I didn't bring a change of clothes. I didn't bring a towel. Uh, we have a team over here. Uh, you guys wave a little bit there. Uh, we have shirts for everybody who's getting baptized today. And we have towels. So um, we also have bathrooms where you can change in. We have plenty of towels. We have, uh, you know, at least a change of sh a shirt. 
And um, we want to just invite you to let us take care of that. Don't worry about that. Don't let the fact you didn't bring a towel be the reason you didn't push through the crowd and get baptized this morning, okay? Fair enough? So with that being said, I'm going to offer a prayer, and then we're going to stand and sing, and uh, you come if you're ready, and we're going to go for it this morning. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come to you this morning, and our situation really isn't that different than those people all those years ago in that story we were just reading about. God, every single one of us, the deepest need of our life is you, Jesus. It's to be redeemed. It's to be set free. And you are the only one who can do it. And so this morning, God, we just come to you and we ask you to remind us that it's your power that changes a life. Remind us that it's your power that sets the, the captives free, that gives sight to the blind, that saves and rescues. And so this morning, um, God, we just celebrate you. We celebrate who you are, and we ask you to do it again, to redeem and to reconcile. We just thank you for baptism. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your blood and everything that you've done. And we ask this in the risen and resurrected name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Do you stand with us and let's sing? And if you're ready to get baptized, join us over here.